In this episode of Real Christianity, we continue part three of the paralysis of pessimistic eschatology. All that coming up right now. Welcome to Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge, and we are continuing our discussion around pessimistic and optimistic eschatology. Now, pessimistic eschatology is really a theological word that talks about those theological or eschatological positions that believe that the world will get increasingly worse until Christ returns, where optimistic eschatology, which has been I would say more historic eschatology is that the world will continue to improve as the gospel continues to conquer the hearts of men around the world and will continue to get better before Christ returns. I know that's hard to believe when we have a world that looks like it's falling apart at every seam. However, I was actually just sent this note from a friend. It says, Jesus, colon, quote, I will build my church end quote. And then it says history, colon, it says 40 AD, 1,000 Christians, 100 AD, 10,000 Christians, 200 AD, 200,000 Christians, 300 AD, 5 million Christians, 2018 AD, 2.5 billion Christians. And, and that's really the trend that we're talking about here. If you actually go, I believe it's to uh, YouTube, and if you look up the spread of the gospel HD, it's actually a video from eight years ago that just tracks the historical spread of the gospel around the world. And again, this is what we're talking about in the sense that we believe that the Great Commission will be fulfilled under optimistic eschatology. So we're going to continue our discussion. This is part three on the matter of pessimistic or the paralysis of pessimistic eschatology and why I believe that optimistic eschatology, which I believe is the historic view uh, of eschatology, is going to be the thing that really transitions the church out of the trials that we've struggled with in terms of taking dominion over culture, influencing the culture, uh, and really taking back the institutional influence of our culture in the education system, in the politics system, in finance and economics, in art and architecture, you name it. And I know that might be hard to believe if you're listening to this as your first episode, but go ahead and go back to listen to episode one and episode two as we continue this discussion around eschatology. Before we begin, I wanted to just quickly mention if you haven't seen it yet, go to app.relearn.org or easier to remember is relearn.org forward slash app. And we have built out what I believe is a really fantastic tool for you and your family to strengthen your biblical and theological literacy. We are compiling an archive and a library of hundreds of audiobooks and ebooks and videos that are a lot of these books are public domain. You can listen to them or find them for free in a PDF format somewhere. The problem with that is that these great books from the Puritans and from the 1800s and from people like Charles Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle, uh, you know, or Jonathan Edwards or John Owen or uh, even A.W. Pink in the 1950s or A.W. Tozer, a lot of these older books, one is they are 
in an antiquated language or they're in Victorian language and they're difficult to read. The other thing is they're available maybe in a PDF, but they're not available in an ebook that'll be nicely read in an e-reader. They're not certainly not available in an audiobook that's professionally recorded with modern language. And we are scouring the internet looking for the greatest books and not just the greatest books, the greatest chapters within those books. And we are modernizing them. We are making them uh, recorded in high definition uh, audio for audio listeners. We are updating them in great ebook formats so that they're easy to read. And we're compiling this massive library of these great works. So we have added so many different books. If you just go to Again, uh, relearn.org forward slash app. But, you know, just this week, we added the kingdom of Christ, which is a beautiful presentation and argument from 1925 that the kingdom of God is now. It's not to come in the future. It's actually now in its infancy or its its growing form. We added A.W. Pink's almost entire library he did an exposition of the book of John. It's a 50-hour audiobook going through his entire exposition, and it's all in modern English. We added uh, just this week the five points of Presbyterianism, if you wanted to understand church structure, the epistle of Ignatius to the Romans, um, uh, Horatius Bernard's Follow the Lamb, which is a book for new believers, uh, A.W. Pink's Masterpiece on the Holy Spirit, it's a full exposition of the biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, we did. We have uh, catechisms. We have devotionals. We have year-long daily devotionals in modern English from Charles Spurgeon. We have um, Ten Commandments by A.W. Pink, the Ten Commandments by D.L. Moody. Uh, we did another uh, recent book on immersion, pouring, or sprinkling, talking about the different modes of baptism. Um, there is just so many books in there, including all of my books are in audio. They're also an ebook and they're available in there. So, I mean, if you were going to just buy one of my books for say Jesus, my gender for 15 bucks, our app is only nine 99 or it's a uh, hundred bucks for the year. It supports our ministry. It allows us to continue to grow this massive library of books um, and you get access to hundreds of books and we're, we're adding more. We're adding about two a day, six days a week. Uh, some days we're adding three, some days we're adding four. Um, again, there's, there's Pilgrim's Progresses in there in modern English with a great read, uh, the essentials of prayer, game changing book for me. That's in there. A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God is in there. Uh, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination is in there. I mean, there is so much great stuff in there. We would love to have you in the app. Uh, go ahead and check it out again at relearn.org forward slash app. It would be a blessing to us to have you guys support that work. Okay, so we left off on this discussion regarding eschatology uh, at the point that uh, I think the last thing I said was that every Christian has a victorious Christ. And no matter what eschatological position you hold, you do believe that Christ wins in the end. Everybody agrees with that. But it's only under the post-millennial view that you actually have a victorious church 
in history. And I spoke on the last episode saying that you cannot have a victorious Christ without a victorious church because we are the body of Christ. There is no paradigm in which the head, Christ, can win separate from the body. You can't have the Christ, the head winning and the body losing. We are one. We are uh, we we rise and fall together. And so if Christ is victorious because uh, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth and that the gates of hell will not prevail against him and he tells us to go get the nations and the great commission, um, we, you know, again, there's the kingdom parables that we talked about and the mustard seed and the leaven leavening the entire lump. And we've looked at history and we are seeing that the gospel continues to conquer its enemies through conversion and so we've seen a lot of this. The The point that I'm going to get to today is, and I, get, I know that some of you are probably wondering, hey, when are we going to get to all the scriptural references to support um, the post-millennial view? It's such a massive topic. There's a couple great books out there if you want to check them out. There's actually a few books in the app. Again, the Kingdom of Christ is one of them, but we're working on getting some more post-millennial works in the app. But uh, see Ken Gentry's book, um, Post-Millennialism Made Easy, is a good book to pick up and just you know read a couple pages a night. He does a really fantastic job arguing it from a biblical scriptural perspective, giving you th- probably hundreds, if not thousands of scripture references, realizing that eschatology is really a theme throughout Genesis to Revelation and not just a issue of Revelation. Um, so <clears throat> today I want to talk about uh, the work of the church is not just spiritual formation, but societal formation. We have, I think, diminished the impact of the gospel. We we do gospel-only Christianity, when in reality, we should be going into the world with the gospel. The gospel is the front door, but it's not the whole house. The gospel is the alphabet, but it's not the library of books that you can read with it. And so a lot of people come to the cross and they just stay at the cross and they don't ever pick that cross up and take it with them into every area of their life. And so we have these areas in society where Christianity has been relegated to the sidelines and we have handed over the institutions to the pagans. And so we have these public schools because the church stopped doing Christian education. And we have uh, we have pagan laws because the church stopped doing politics. And we have uh, a, a sore need for uh, public or for Christian doctors and banks and law offices and attorney firms and you name the institution. And we are having a variety of these needs that cannot be met because the church continues to keep the message of the gospel strictly into the four walls of the church. And so under the pessimistic view, it's difficult to see the value of earthly and cultural work for the church. If you think that the world's just going to go to hell in a handbasket, it's just going to get worse and worse. Your great grandkids are going to have a harder time than you did. Um, You know, uh, it was J. Vernon McGee who famously said, you know, we don't polish brass on a sinking ship. That is, why would a Christian uh, care to improve society if society is only going to get worse? 
you know, why should Christians by the power of the gospel uh, strive for dominion in the world if the world will ultimately overcome the church? Uh, these are, are the thoughts that are rattling around in the minds of many Christians today when we talk about post-millennialism. You know, people will say, oh, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, why are you trying to build a kingdom in this world? Well, when Jesus said that, he's, he's talking about that his kingdom is not of this world system. Uh, you know, uh, he is still the ruler of the earth. Um, all authority and has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He is the ruler. Um, you know, God says in the Old Testament, I believe in the Psalms, um, that the fullness of, uh, you know, everything that dwells in the earth and the fullness thereof is God's. It is, he is still ruler of the world. Now, Satan is the ruler of this world system, this fallen world system. That's very different. The authority of Christ's kingdom is not of this world system. It's of a heavenly world, a more powerful world, a world in control of this earth. And so um, these thoughts around, you know, societal dominion, Christianization of not just the church, not just a spiritual message, but we know that the spiritual message of the gospel enters into physical human beings that create physical businesses and houses and schools and uh, police departments and you name it. And so this Christianization of the heart of the Christian should Christianize everything in your life. But we have been taught that it should just stay at church. It's just a spiritual message. Christ is maybe reigning in the hearts of people, but that's it. There's no reign of Christ in the actual physical realm. It's a form of Gnosticism where like the, the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And it's not historic, biblical, or correct. <laughs> um, and so uh, when we think about just for uh, uh, just a second, the Lord's prayer, um, he, he directs us to faithfully prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There really is an emphasis that we want God's will to be done on earth uh, here now. And so th that's something that we should actually aim for, not escaping the world, but actually investing the world through the gospel. We can't change anything without the gospel. But it doesn't mean that we don't legislate righteous laws. Uh, you know, banning abortion is you can legislate morality. You cannot legislate a heart change. The gospel can only legislate a heart change. So you need to do both. You don't need to just do, you don't say, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna try to put righteous laws in place because it's not gonna change the heart. We're going to just focus on changing the heart. And then if you change the heart, then it'll change the laws. Well, you got to do both. You have to change the laws and you have to preach the gospel. It's not one or the other. Christ calls us to pray that God's kingdom and his ways will manifest on earth as it is in heaven. According to the Westminster standards, the Lord's prayer instructs Christians to ask God to uh, quote, that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews would be called and the fullness of the Gentiles will be brought in, end quote. So ultimately it's, it's a prayer to remove 
atheism and ignorance of the gospel throughout the world. It's a prayer to remove the remnant of Satan's reign of this fallen world system and replace it with the kingdom of Christ. Uh, It's a prayer to tear down idols, spiritual and physical, and to establish an understanding of the kingship of Christ on this earth as it is in heaven. Christ is king. He's king of Bank of America. He's king of Chick-fil-A. He's king of Home Depot. He's king of California. He's king of your uh, home. He's king of he's king of all these things. You know, I think it was Abraham Kuyper who said there is not one square inch in this universe where Jesus does not cry, mine. And so he is reigning over all of these realities. And so we don't hand any of this stuff over, uh, one, because we, the meek, will inherit the earth. This earth is going to be ours. It's going to be restored and renewed, but this is our eternal home. It's going to be heaven will be uh, the restoration of the world and God will dwell on the earth uh, with us for eternity. And so we will inherit the earth. And this is something that we should uh, really enjoy bringing in the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel um, and the upholding of righteousness in the world. Uh, John Calvin comments on this passage and says, quote, so in this prayer, the Lord's prayer, we ask that with all hindrance removed, he may bring all mortals under his command and lead them to consider the life of heaven. So we pray that the whole world may willingly come to Christ. And now as the kingdom of God increases stage upon stage to the end of the world, we must every day pray for its coming. As far as sin holds the world in sway, so far is the kingdom of God absent for complete righteousness must come in its train, end quote. So again, John Calvin was arguably post-millennial, but some people will say, well, he was an amillennial. I go, at the very least, he's optimistic. He's an optimistic, uh, holds optimistic eschatology. And that's really the the, the big discussion. It's not about post-millennial, amillennial, pre-millennial. Um, it's really about uh, optimistic eschatology. And I do believe that you cannot the premillennial position I cannot see in scripture. You can listen to that book in our app, The Kingdom of Christ. There's probably a hundred scripture references that show how the kingdom is now and not coming later in a thousand year literal uh, reign on the earth. That's the dispensational and premillennial view that uh, I strongly disagree with. Now, as we pray on this prayer, we are to act in accordance with its precepts petitioning God to use it as use us as his instruments to bring about his kingdom through the gospel and the propagating of Christian ethics here on earth. Matthew uh, 5, 13 through 16, Jesus speaks to this practical work, which we are to seek. He says, quote, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all 
in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Pay attention to good works. They're actually looking at those good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven, end quote. So ultimately, that passage teaches us three things. One, Jesus actually condemns ineffectiveness. We are not to be an impotent, uh, impotent or unproductive people as Christians. We are to be effective at what we do. Don't lose your saltiness. Uh, be a light. Don't, don't hide yourself. We, we are actually to be effective at transforming, lighting, uh, changing, preserving the culture, whatever you want to, you know, there's so much there on the salty thing, you know, does it preserve culture? Does it, uh, give it its flavor? You, you can, you can take the illustration where you want it, but at the end of the day, Jesus condemns ineffectiveness. Number two, Jesus commands us to catechize the culture. Uh, we are to be present, active, and seen in society. We should not let the culture be catechizing the church. The church should be catechizing the culture. And number three, Jesus implies that separationism, separationism is wrong. We are not to, to limit our influence merely to the spiritual realm, but to engage every aspect of society with the transformative power of the gospel. So we're not to separate from the culture. You know, it says be in the world, but not of the world system. Okay. That's what it's saying. Be in the world. Go transform that world system through the power of the gospel. This is go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, right? So this is, uh, I, I'm, I know I'm missing, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm trying to abridge the version to get through some of these things. But this is vital that we have this perspective. In verse 13, Jesus warns that failing to have cultural influence renders the church, quote, good for nothing. It says that salt is good for nothing. If it doesn't lost its, if it lost its tasting or its tastiness, it, just thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's good for nothing. So ultimately, the kingdom of God has a claim on souls and societies. Now, it has the claim on societies through the church preaching the gospel and upholding righteousness in the land. Now, I want to say one more thing. And while the gospel starts, again, as a spiritual message, it enters material men and women and produces material results. So to leave the message in the heart and not transfer it to the home or to the office, or to the city, is to obstruct and hinder the work of God in your own personal ministry. So in the end, I believe Christian pessimism is actually sinful. Uh, it's, it's a virtue of decline and a legacy of loss. It literally requires every future generation to expect further decay, leaving your children with less and less hope and their children with even less hope. Do we really believe that the dominant theme after the resurrection of Christ is the deterioration of society? Like, do we believe that the fall of Adam is actually more powerful than the resurrection of Christ? Is that consistent with scripture? the character of Christ or church history, to embrace the idea that God has not provided an immediate solution to the problems of our world 
by his word and spirit is to really be blind to the power of the church through Christ. First John 5, 4 says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay, we Christians, if you're paying attention here, we are not pessimists. We are people of hope. Not only in future hope and the redemption of our souls, not only in the return of Christ, but also in the immediate cultural work and the immediate sanctifying personal work in the immediate kingdom work performed in our cities, counties, states, souls, homes, children, etc. So let us not be marked as people of cynicism that fall into this kind of Christless conservatism that believes that it's just getting more and more terrible. No, get out there, actually become gospel fluent, proclaim the message of Christ, expect victory, kick despair out of your head, and watch Christ conquer through the generations as he always has. And more and more people, not just more people, but more people in ratio to the population of the world come to Christ generation after generation because our King does not fail. So hopefully that was helpful for you. Uh, just as a quick part three on the paralysis of pessimistic eschatology, I am going to do a continued series, probably two or three more episodes on the topic. The next section we're going to be talking about is the triumph of God through the gradualism of the gospel. And so this is going to be a really great series of continued discussion around optimistic eschatology. And I hope it's helpful for you guys. If you're a regular listener to the show, would you consider leaving a review or just tapping the stars in whatever podcast app you're using? You don't have to write a review. You just have to tap the stars. But if you do write a review, I will read it. Um, they're very encouraging. We have thousands and thousands of reviews right now, and they really do help the exposure of our show. The last thing I just want to remind you guys, please consider subscribing at the Relearn app. We have big plans and vision and hope to really uh, strengthen that biblical and theological literacy in the church, but we can't do it without a solid base of committed supporters that are going to be subscribers. And so we really do need your help. And if you would consider uh, subscribing, again, go to Relearn app, relearn.org forward slash app. On that note, my name is Dale Partridge. This is Real Christianity, and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, would you consider leaving a review? You don't need to write anything. Just tap the stars in your podcast app. But if you would write a review, we will read it. Real Christianity is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, at relearn.org. You can also follow along on social media. Just search for relearn.org or Dale Partridge on just about every social media platform. Lastly, if you feel led to support our ministry financially as we fight to bring the church back to the Bible, you can always do that at relearn.org forward slash donate. Donate.